Welcome to the Crypto Podcast. You can find all our episodes on the CryptoPodcast.org. We're also on YouTube. You find the links in the podcast description. I'm also a podcasting coach because I got four other podcasts. Four of them getting to the top half percent. You find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. My guest today from LA and the USA, crypto strategist, fit, fitness enthusiast, and also an author. Please welcome Corey Carbone. Did I pronounce Thank you correctly? for having me. That is perfect. You're doing great. Thank you very much, Roy. Pleasure to be on. Thank you very much for coming on. So you might just let, I mean, obviously I've given a few bullet points, but you might let the listeners know a little bit more about you, Corey. Absolutely. So I born and raised in, I was actually born in Florida, but raised in the Midwest in a little state called Lincoln, Nebraska. And, uh, you know, my, my whole life I was, you know, an athletic kid. I got involved in the insurance and finance industry at a pretty young age. So there's not much to do in Nebraska, but play and watch football and also idolize Warren Buffett. And that's how I really got into the investment standpoint. He's kind of our, our, you know, our, our success guy there. But uh, I, from a very early age, working in the insurance industry, I actually worked for a company that he was a, a majority owner in uh, called Torchmark Corporation. So I uh, really dove into value investing. I really, uh, you know, just sunk my teeth into learning insurance and how policies work, especially index fund universal life policies and kind of how to navigate that space, you know, but eventually I um, followed my passion, which I got into the fitness industry. So I ran a string of gold's gyms in Southern California. Um, obviously the pandemic really threw a wrench in everything here. All the gyms shut down, the whole world shut down. And that's when I decided that, you know, I don't want to be, you know, a slave to, a location or what the government can say I can or cannot do. I know that sounds kind of uh, anarchist, but I just, I wanted more control of my own life. So I started doing policy reviews, unbiased policy reviews during the pandemic. And during that time uh, when I was in, you know, explaining how these policies work to people, they just got very confused. They're like, well, my agent didn't explain it to me this way. You're explaining it to me a lot easier. Can I just give you money and you can invest it for me? And I was like, no, I can't take that. That's illegal. But then it got me thinking because I was reading a book, ironically, by you know, Warren Buffett. And I was like, maybe I could start my own investment fund. And so I used everything I learned from value investing. But you know, Bitcoin really got my attention. And once it did, I dove down the rabbit hole. Long story short, uh, we end up starting, uh, my partner and I started a crypto and Web3 based hedge fund. It is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commissions. It's um, you know fully on board, licensed, and everything. So you know, in this fund, we you know trade crypto. We have long-term holdings, you know, and we uh, you know we we offer it to accredited investors. So after that, I ended up uh, starting a coaching company, and the coaching company teaches people how to invest in crypto on their own, since the hedge fund is for kind of an exclusive group of investors. And what I just noticed during this whole time is you can teach strategies, you can teach education to a lot of people, but if they don't develop the mindset, if they don't have the consistent habits, and if they're not prepared to accept the success that comes with investing, a lot of times they'll end up self-sabotaging themselves and ruining all their gains or cashing out early or panicking when the market takes a dip as it does in the crypto market. So, you know, we teach mindset, we teach consistent habits. You know, one of the requisites of our, our our investing courses is to get your ass in the gym and get in shape and also read and feed the body and mind positive uh, information so you can be fully well-rounded in all aspects of it. So that's the Cliff Notes version of, you know, where I came from and how I got to where I am. And now I, you know, run the hedge fund full-time, 
do coaching business full-time. I was able to get rid of corporate America about a year and a half ago and just completely dive into my business. Yeah, brilliant. And I love the way that you're kind of encouraging the mindset because a lot of people don't do that. And also, I suppose it's understanding wealth because when you do wealth, well, I've seen a lot of people that when they actually make a lot of money, their, their mind isn't there for it. And they end up blowing it all. And then they're wondering what's going on with the, with life. You know, they start blaming everybody. And just, I think mm-hmm. be, when your health, you know, just going to the gym and everything, when your body's in shape, your mind is acting a lot better. Yeah, if 100%. I mean, you know, I'm in LA and you're, you know, far away from us right now. And I, you know, I got up at 3.30 this morning, spend the first 30 to 45 minutes reading, meditating, go through my visualization and goals. Then I do 100 burpees every morning. And, you know, I've already had a very successful, very productive morning. And when we're done with this call, I'm going to head to the gym and lift weights and come back and do another podcast and work the rest of the day. So, you know, by the time some people are rolling out of bed, I've already had a lot of great wins. And I think that that is a huge part of any success that I achieve is being able to have that good foundation. And, you know, the lottery mindset, when somebody does come across a, a big sum of money, you know, if you won a lottery, you know, subconsciously, that person doesn't, they know they don't deserve it. And because they haven't worked for it. And that's where most lottery winners in a matter of a couple of years, they end up filing for bankruptcy because they haven't gone through the mental preparation the consistency and the, I deserve this wealth to really maintain, hold it and grow it. Some do, but very few do very, very few. So we just figured that, you know, with the mob approach, which is my uh, coaching company, that if you build the right type of person, then the success that comes after, you're not going to sabotage it and you're going to stay consistent of it uh, with the long run. And so, so we teach the who first, who do you need to become? And then we teach the how to actually successfully invest and that way. They, are in alignment the entire time. Brilliant. And with like the insurance industry then, because like what I've seen, it can be fairly corrupt as well. And oh, like, yeah. like my father passed last month and they, my parents had been investing all their life. Like I remember from a young age, they were putting money away. And then like when I was kind of teenager, they kind of sent in two heavies to, oh, you must sign this. And it turns out he'll get two and a half thousand euro for something that they've been paying into. They basically just reduced it when there was a guaranteed sum at one stage. And also same with like pensions and everything. There's a lot of people, you know, you're kind of encouraged, put in your money to your pension, to your pension. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And it ain't that good. My brother's wife was telling me that they had invested an investment plan which sometimes is not necessarily insurance company, but just just the industry, they put away the children's allowance for the whole 18 years. And instead, mm-hmm. of, they invested over 25,000 euro. So it should, when you compound it and everything, you would be talking about minimum 50, probably closer to 100 with that kind of investment. They got six grand back. And that seems to, and that was in Holland. So like, it's a lot of people think they're putting the money away and they're going to be safer any day. I think you've kind of seen that. Yeah. It's the biggest scam in the insurance industry. So what ends up happening is when there's a cash value building policy, what ends up happening is it takes three or four years for the insurance company to break even because they have to pay underwriting costs, administrative fees, and they have to pay agent commissions, which is the biggest fee that that insurance company uh, incurs at the beginning. Cause some insurance companies you know, deservedly so they pay their people up to a hundred percent commission. So that means 
you're paying $300 a month and your annual premiums $3,600 a year, that entire first year of premiums, a lot of times goes to the agent and the agency that wrote it. And so then about three years after a policy is written, then the actual insurance company starts to break even. When the insurance company breaks even is typically when cash value starts to accumulate. But then there's also a cap. So most IULs, they invest in the Russell 2000 or the S&P 500. And so when that ends up happening, like, you know, the annual compounded growth of the S&P 500 is about 9% a year, roughly over the last 100 years, 9 to 10, sometimes a little higher, sometimes a little lower. This is the thing. There's some years where it compounds to 20 or 30%. But if the compounded growth reaches 12%, anything above and beyond that stays with the insurance company. So if there's a year where there's 20% growth, you only get 12% of the growth. The other 8% in 2021, yep, 2021, when there was 30% S&P 500 returns, 28% returns, that means 12% goes to the insured and the other 16% goes to the insurance company. And then they, they there's the sales point is they protect your wealth. So if the insurer, if the S&P is negative one year, you don't lose anything. But what, what real wealth comes from, like you said, is compounding. So if you have investments that compound and the S&P index fund compounds quarterly, but there's no dividends. So it's not really an investment vehicle. They just say it because they invest your premiums, but not for you. It's all in the insurance company's name. So if there is any compounding going on, it's not being kicked back to the insured. It's staying with the insurance company. So not only are you capped at 12%, there's no compounding. So you don't get that Warren Buffett effect, that snowball that he talks about so often. And when I would explain this to people, I would, I would always recommend like there's maybe there's a couple IULs out there that actually perform well, but most more likely than not, they don't. And that's when, and, and also insurance works as a, a bell curve. So, you know, if the insurance policy seems too good to be true and there's cash value incurred, Typically, cash value accumulates like this, and then it gets to the age where you become high risk, and then it starts to go down, all the while the insurance premiums remain the same. And once that cash value runs out, then what they do is they say, oh, there's no more cash to pay for your good policy, and then your policy rates hike up astronomically. And then you, it becomes what's called an annual and renewable term, and when that happens, usually you can't afford – $800 a month, $1,500 a month for a $100,000, $200,000 policy anymore, you end up canceling it, not being covered anymore, and having no cash value left. So there are better alternatives to doing this rather than dumping all your money. And not only do most people that buy insurance policies don't understand how this works, most people that sell insurance policies don't know how to explain it because they don't even know how their own policies work. That was the advantage of me when I started working in the insurance industry at 22 in Nebraska is I'm, you know, I'm 41 now and I still look pretty young. At least I'd like to tell myself I do. But when I was 22, I looked like a baby. So nobody took me serious. The only way I could get anybody to take me serious was just by studying my craft so well that people took me serious based on what I was saying. And then from there, I just learned so much that I was able to figure all this stuff out with the help of coaches, mentors, et cetera. And then I was able to explain and really dissect how the policies work. Some people that work in the industry for 20 years still can't explain it to, in a way that people can understand. So there's just, there, there's, there's other alternatives. Are all bad? Absolutely not. There's insurance is very, very important. I encourage anybody to get it, but you want to know what you're getting into and not always just take the agent's word because most agents that sell 
they explain it on a piece of paper, they show you this, but you can't actually look at your policy until your policy is delivered to see the actual numbers. And then when your policy is delivered, usually it's in the mail because everything's remotely now. And what ends up happening is you have to try to dissect it yourself. I challenge anybody, even insurance agents, to dissect the policy. It's like reading Mandarin. It's very difficult. And like, I know it's kind of different with the, with, with the pensions, but like I remember because I had full contribution when I was working in Ireland for a contractor and with the annual uh, reports that you get, they say, if it goes up 8%, it'll be worth this. If it goes up 6%, every year they said the exact same. And every year it was worth the exact same. It didn't increase at all. And I was like, this is bad. But the other thing is, and I mean, I've talked to some people that were managing directors of massive companies and they were the same. Like they were kind of shocked at the returns. They were like, no, I expected this to be a lot better. But the thing mm -hmm. is with the pensions, like if, if say what the spouse dies passes it on so the wife then gets it or, or the husband whatever way it worked out mm -hmm. but then when they pass on instead of it going to the children I'm not sure it's the same in the states but usually it just disappears as in <laughs> the pension company gets your money which is scandalous oh for sure 100 percent. you know it's called surviving spouse but um, you know there are clauses and there are some great companies out there that allow it to continue to roll over but many times they don't you know and then it's just it's 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 kind of like it's kind of like gift cards, you know, it, it, it's, it's the same concept. Gift cards are some of the biggest scams you could ever get to, because when, you know, I hate to say that word so often, I kind of sound like a negative person, but I'm, trust me, I'm not, but you know, you buy a hundred dollar gift card from somebody, there's, you know, what ends up happening is you buy a hundred bucks, you give it to your, your, your friend, your friend goes to Amazon and they either do one of two things. They only purchase something for $96 when that $4 goes unused, so that's free money for Amazon, or they use the full $100 and go a little bit over and they end up using more than what that gift card is. So it's a win-win situation for Amazon, but it's usually a lose situation for the person receiving it or the person buying it. So, and it's, it's a beautiful business model. So they either anticipate you spending more or less than what the card is worth. So either or way, even it's losing it and not using it at all. I'd say there must be 15 to 20% of people that that happens. To. Oh, for sure. For sure. My, yeah, my, my girlfriend, God bless her heart. You know, they're, she, she works at an insurance company, ironically, and they work with the Lloyds of London and, you know, they're, they're always so generous in terms of giving birthday presents, anniversary presents to each other. And, you know, she opens up a shoebox one time. She got like 17 gift cards in there. Starbucks, Target, $5 here, $10 here. She's like, I should really spend these. I'm like, yeah, you got like $200 for the gift cards there. It definitely should. But yeah, it's, uh, in, but at the same time, the businesses are just loving it every, every minute of it. But same thing. And it, there's a lot of insurance policies that go unchecked too. So insurance policies go unchecked, you know, people don't pay their premium and their policy cancels and cash values left in there. Or people pass away and they don't have a will in place or they don't have, you know, any instructions from surviving family members to locate policies. And then some policies just end up not getting paid out. You know, it happens with, you know, crypto accounts too, you know, like somebody will transfer a crypto account to a cold wallet, a web three wallet, cold storage, and they won't tell any of their family that it exists. If something happens to them, there could be hundreds of thousands of dollars in there that is unaccounted for. So, you know, it's very important to not only know how everything works, but to communicate what you have or have it in a place where Every single person within, you know, within your trusted circle, like a beneficiary or, you know, a spouse or a really close relative, they know how to locate it and what to do.
you know, and that's a, that's a huge thing. A lot of crypto is just sitting there in cold wallets untouched because people didn't want to tell anybody about it because they're afraid people will steal it. So, because I've actually discussed that uh, with a few of the guests and it's, it's a shame because if that happens, there's no way that you'd get the passphrase and kind of retrieve it. But at the same time, relationships break up. You can't trust with my own experience, probably 90 plus percent of solicitors. So what's, what's your kind of ideal way of doing that when the reality is no, there's a high percentage of people that actually have a crypto wallet and we should, cause look, we could get hit in the morning with a bus. I'm optimistic like you. I want to live to 150 and I, I like yeah, to the gym and but we don't know what's going around in the morning. So what, what, what do you think was the safest way? Because at the end of the day, people are really trying to protect themselves that nobody shafts them because unfortunately when it comes to money, it like everybody will, it is very few that you can truly trust. Well, I, um, although I have good relationships with some major exchanges, you know, our, our hedge fund, we use Coinbase Pro and we use Kraken, which are very trusted exchanges in the United States. However, they still are centralized exchanges. And the whole part of crypto is to go decentralized. So when I have, or when we utilize for myself or any business that I have, centralized exchanges, those are typically, we keep money on there that is being traded and or money that we want to liquidate at any time. If we're having long-term holdings, what the most secure thing to do is to get it off a centralized exchange and get it into a Web3 wallet. You know, Exodus is a great wallet to have because it's a multi-chain wallet. It supports 200 different blockchains on there and it's, you know, it's very secure. Uh, from there, you can, you know, take it from a Web3 wallet, which is your seed phrase, and you can put it into a cold storage device. If you really want to get decentralized, you'd build a Bitcoin node, which I have, and you could put a Lightning node on top of that too, or a Lightning wallet. And you know, a Bitcoin node, you can set security features that have security more strict than the Pentagon. It's it's insane. But one of the most uh, effective things to do is kind of take what Vitalik Buterin does with Ethereum, is if you really want to secure large sums of money, is you have a couple of trusted actors within your circle, maybe a mom, maybe a dad, maybe a childhood friend, maybe a wife, and not give the whole seed phrase to them. But if you have 12 words, four to one person, four to another, four to another person. So God forbid something were to happen, then they all three have to come together, but they don't know who they are. So I would have four go to somebody, I'd have four go to somebody else, and I'd have four go to somebody else. And they don't know each other are holding the keys to the wallet. So in the event that something happens to me, then you could in your will, in your trust, or in your, you know, you know, final notes, you could say these three people hold the keys, and then they could put that together to actually release the funds. That way there's no manipulation. They don't even know it exists until they all come together. And That's a great way to do it. No, no, definitely. But in reality, you'd probably even have to have a kind of double amount of that because if something happened, one of the three, you're going to yep. in trouble. So you'd need a kind of backup plan for them just in case some accident happened with one of the three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like a life insurance policy having a secondary beneficiary and a primary beneficiary. You know, 100%. You know, most people won't go to that length to do that, especially if they're not dealing with millions and millions of dollars. You know, and if that, that's the case, you know, having a safe with a cold storage device in there, as well as your seed phrase, um, 
I'm not saying I do this, but it's something that your listeners might want to consider. There are notepads where you can have invisible ink specifically for crypto purposes, and you can have your seed phrase in there and they can only be viewed by special lighting. So there's, there's a lot of ways that you can secure your seed phrases um, that aren't that don't have the ability to be hacked digitally, whether it's through an email, through, you know, your own computer, your devices or anything like that. So the the best thing, everybody that's heavy in crypto should have a safe, a fireproof safe, and they should have things in there. And it's, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, seed phrases in multiple locations too, you know, as long as everything is very secure, but the most important thing is preparing for the inevitable. And this is just a life insurance guy in me is if something happens, is is there a way to access it? Because otherwise it's just going to lay dormant like Satoshi Nakamoto's Bitcoin of millions for, you know, 14, 15 years at this point. Brilliant. So like with like you, you mentioned Bitcoin, but what is your full journey yourself? How did you start dabbling? Was it Bitcoin was your first thing or what was your own kind of crypto journey yourself? Yeah, Bitcoin and Ethereum. So the, the funny thing is, is I... Uh, I started off by contacting Fidelity because I found out that they were doing um, cold storage for institutional clients. And they're like, are you an institution? And I'm like, what is that? It was years ago. And uh, they told me that there was a certain minimum to invest with them, that you had to be an institution or an RIA. And I wasn't any of those things. So I, I just, I was like, okay, they're like, well, here, here's some information. So they sent me all the materials on Bitcoin and the most effective way to learn it is I actually went by a glossary. So they had this like five page glossary of just terminology. And I just learned the terminology first. So after the and, you know, first three times I read it, I had no clue what I read. It was like reading, you know, a foreign language, but I just went through the terminology and I just started watching video after video. And I'm, you know, like Kobe Bryant, which is how the Mamba approach got named. Like Kobe Bryant, I'm just a very obsessive person. So when I when I like something, I really dig into it. So I just went all in. So I, I think the first exchange I ever got, I downloaded crypto.com as an app and I purchased Bitcoin and I purchased Ethereum. And this was before a bull run happened. And it just, you know, kept going up. You know, in a you know, I thought I was smart, but you know, it's just luck at that time. I didn't know how the cycles work. I just happened to time the market the right way, which usually doesn't happen. Um, but then from there, I just I really started diving in and studying first, second, third generation blockchain. So first generation, as we know, is Bitcoin. So I studied how proof of work operated, how the nodes worked, how validators worked, how the miners were, you know, how the algorithm is hard coded into its original code and how the halving happens every four years. So when I first looked at Bitcoin, I looked at it as a money making investment. Because I knew supply and demand by default over time was going to cause the price of Bitcoin to go up. Because if the supply is decreasing year over year, every four years, but the demand raise, remains constant or goes up over time, that's just going to cause the supply suffocation to force the price to go up. So for me, I was like, this is a no-brainer, especially if the Bitcoin blockchain is as secure as people think it is. And then I started studying SHA-256 which is the secure hash algorithm that protects the blockchain. So basically an input goes into this compression and then 256 ones and zeros get spit out on the back end. So if I were to say to somebody, you know, guess between a zero and a one, the probability of you getting that guess right is 
And if they get that right and I say, okay, now guess again, zero one, the probability is reduced down to 25%. So every decimal you go over, the probability gets cut in half. So to be able to break a blockchain like that, you have a two to the 256 power of being able to do so. And Bitcoin runs what's called a double shot 256. And it's never been hacked. So that means when the output is uh, uh, spit out from that compression, it goes through that shock uh, function again. So it is just an astronomically, not impossible, but improbable blockchain to hack. So when I learned all this, then I started studying macroeconomics more deeply, learning how the central banks and the Federal Reserve just are printing money at will. So then it became not an investment to me. It became more of like a fair monetary transparent system that could benefit the entire world and you know just a way for the world to kind of reset itself kind of like tyler durden and fight club when they reset and they blow up all the credit card buildings in miami not saying that that's ever okay but it was just a way to kind of even the paying playing field because the financial system is controlled by a small group of people worldwide and the people that benefit are the people that are in the club so from there then i went into second generation and really studied ethereum I uh, found out how smart contracts worked, learned how you can build decentralized applications on top of their blockchain. So instead of a monetary system or a store of value, Ethereum is more of a general purpose blockchain where it actually has more real life functionality. So if I buy a case of wine from Italy through the logistics of the blockchain, if, uh, you know, let, let's say a, a decentralized application, their whole goal is to trace the logistics of all products worldwide. And I can look on the blockchain and say, okay, is this Italian red wine actually from Italy? Oh, let's look on the blockchain. It was sourced here. The grapes were picked here. It was bottled in Tuscany. It was shipped from here to here. And then it came to this store. Ralph's is a big grocery store in LA. And then I purchased it from Ralph's, picked it up. And I can see through total transparency through the blockchain, that it was actually a real Italian red wine. And this can also help eliminate, you know, forged products, you know, whether it's a Rolex watch, a Louis Vuitton purse or bag. So if, if they actually put their logistics on a blockchain, they can see exactly where it's sourced. Now, some companies that might not have, you know, the ethics might not want to do that because they, you know, maybe they're they're using unfair labor laws or it's not using the authentic ingredients or materials that they say it is. And so, so it, sol it doesn't solve everything, but it solves a lot of the issues of lack of trust and transparency that the world really sees these days. So, and then you got to third generation and third generation, what they just try to do is improve on the systems of the first and the second. So a huge issue with first and second generation blockchain is the transactions per second is somewhat low compared to like a Visa or a MasterCard. So the throughput, it's like bottlenecking. It's like being on a five lane highway and kind of going down to two. That's where traffic jams happen. So that is an issue which causes a scalability issue. And another thing is proof of work uses a lot of computational energy. So when you go to proof of stake in the third generation of blockchain, it uses less energy, which is supposedly better for the environment. And also you can have and process more transactions per second. So it's more scalable. Um, and that's, but the thing is, is with that comes less decentralization and also higher risk of it failing. So it's like, what is the more important thing to have more transactions per second and use less computational energy or to have a secure blockchain that uses less transactions per cent, uh, second, has more computational energy, but has never been hacked. It'd be like 
storing all your wealth in a vault and you have a bunch of Navy SEALs with armed rifles, as opposed to a, you know, a 10 year old kid that's a security guard, you know, saying, oh, don't go in there. So it, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's, there's a trade-off and what every investor has to decide is, is it worth the trade-off? It may be, it may not be, time will tell. And just on the mining and the energy use, I mean, I've kind of discussed that they're they're actually using that for even heating and everything. There's a lot of uh, you know secondary things that could be used with the mining that it's not just wasted uh, energy, as as some people are kind of claiming it to be. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's energy that's already on the grid anyway, and they're use you know energy is one of the most important commodities in the world, if not the most important commodity. So most of the time when energy is expended, it's end up wasted even solar there's a half-life to solar so solar is created you know for example in california solar is basically created and the energy is sent from las vegas over to the salt you know over to the houses and that's how that's how energy is stored i mean electricity is created in vegas and it's sent to california you know with solar you know you have all this energy that's stored and then but it's it's still it dissipates over time there's a half-life eventually it's gone the good thing about the energy that Bitcoin uses is it's storing energy that's becoming more valuable over time because energy m- money is just energy and Bitcoin is digital energy. So if you are mining, yes, you're using energy, but that energy becomes more valuable over time because it's a deflationary asset. You know, if I build a house right now, I'm going to utilize energy. I'm going to have time, but that house will get more it might go up in value but the actual foundation of the house will deteriorate so that's a good thing with digital energy is if it's deflationary if it holds its value you know a hundred million dollars spent in bitcoin mining today could produce a hundred billion dollars worth of value in the next 20 years excellent perfect and like you came from kind of highly regulated industry what you're doing now is regulated as well What's your thoughts on regulation for the crypto blockchain technology? I'm torn in a sense that I do not want to ever see a CBDC and, you know, not to get political on your podcast, but I just, if you ever see a candidate in any political party push for a central bank digital currency, run the other way, uh, because that is simply just going to, you know, socialize and provide like kind of a communist environment for digital assets because they can control everything you can do. They say, they can say, I don't want you to spend money here. Let's block your wallet. That's why decentralization is very important. So a part of me, the investment part of me loves that if regulation happens, there are, or at least some clarity that's going to have more sovereign wealth funds come into the space, which will drive up the uh, case of Bitcoin. Um, You know, and also, it might um, provide more or less fear for the average retail investor to start investing into it as well. Um, But at the same time, it's like a fire. It can't be stopped. You know, the best time to put out a fire is at the beginning, but a fire gets so big, eventually there's not enough water in the world to put it out. So with Bitcoin, you know, it's gotten to the point where it's so decentralized and it's grown so big that, you know, even if regulators wanted to stop it, it's a worldwide network now. So it might, you know, just like when China shut down mining in 2021, you know, all the mining just came, went from China and it came to the United States and went to Kazakhstan and, you know, it, it didn't skip a beat. So, you know, regulation could provide, you know, short-term uh, stability to the market, but I think in the long term it doesn't really matter because there's just, it's, it's an unstoppable force at this point. So, you know, I, I like to see some clarity 
just to kind of dissipate the fear in the market. Um, but at the same time, that kind of goes against the Bitcoin maximalist, like, you know, I want to separate from the government in terms of, I don't want them to have control over it. So I'm, I'm a little torn, but essentially I think it's a, it's a good thing just for clarity purposes. And like with the, the way the market goes, like, you know, we mentioned at the start, the mindset, you might kind of touch on that. Cause I presume with the coaching as well, you kind of touch, you know, you discuss that with your clients, but I think it's important that because a lot of the times people are kind of watching what's going on in the news and that's how they base their decisions, which is obviously the wrong way. But like, how would you kind of guide people in the mindset? Yeah. Well? The mindset for first thing is that the, the two most important things when investing is to create a, the best way to create a solid mindset is to work out, exercise every single day, get or move around every single day. Because if you build a consistent habit of moving your body through weightlifting, walking, running, boxing, whatever the case may be, you're going to release endorphins. You're going to become better looking. You're going to feel more confident with yourself. And with that confidence and with that habitual consistency is going to, it's going to have a natural spillover into Bitcoin. So you work on building the body, you work on feeding the body, healthy foods, don't pig out, you know, make sure that you're in a calorie deficit. If you're trying to lose some weight, make sure your macronutrients are on point in terms of what your goals are. We teach all of that. So, and then with that consistency, we, we lead people into a self-study program. So we also, we build the foundation. So I believe that if you understand how something works, you're more likely to stick with it for the long term. So even just that brief explanation on first, second, third generation blockchain, you know, it's important for people to know and not just go by faith. Don't just invest in Bitcoin because Roy's doing it or Corey's doing it. Invest in Bitcoin because you understand the basic foundation of what the goal is in the long term. And then that way you understand that it's not a one year investment, six month investment, two year investment. You know, this is a five, 10, 20, 50 year investment, you know, depending on how old you are. The last of the Bitcoin is set to be mined in the year 2140. So we have 117 years of Bitcoin mining left. So you can't tell me, nobody could tell me that the price isn't going to be significantly higher in 10 years, just based on that alone. So once you understand the foundation and you understand and you're in the right mindset through reading, exercising and eating healthy and also surrounding yourself with a community of people that are like-minded. If you try to do it alone, it's very difficult to stay the course. If you have somebody to hold you accountable, your mindset starts to change and you start to adopt the habits of the people you're surrounding yourself with. But then we move into asset allocation. So depending on what your income is, depending on what you're financially capable of doing, we set up an asset allocation plan where no matter what, on the same day of every week, you're going to create a wire transfer or a bank transfer to a crypto exchange of this amount of dollars, whether it's $100 a week, whether it's $500 a week, depending on what your income is, whether it's 50 or 10, the amount doesn't matter. It's, a, it's important that you just start. If you start too high and you have to scale back, that is, it, it's, it's kind of, uh, it hits that confidence and hits that ego. So it's actually better to start small and build upon a smaller foundation. So if you're struggling financially and you can only afford $50 per week, start with that. And then maybe after a couple months, bump it to 55. After a couple months, bump it to 60. And then slowly and incrementally, as your pay increases, as you become better at managing your own money because of that consistency, you can start to increase in more and more over time. 
So that's the first step of asset allocation is committing to a plan and never deviating for it. The second step is deciding what that money is going to do. So typically, you know, we, you know, we teach people AI high frequency trading. So we use uh, AI platforms and algorithms that do high frequency trades that spit off profits in either US dollars or in uh, Bitcoin. So that's one of the strategies we use. But let's say we, you don't do that and you're a beginner. You know, let's say you do $100 per week. You might want to take $60 of that, invest it in Bitcoin. You might want to take $30 of that, invest it in Ethereum. And you might want to take $10 of that and invest it in what we call altcoins. These are smaller cap coins that might have the potential to have big gains in the future. But you want to weight it where Bitcoin and Ethereum are most likely your main long-term holdings because those are the two bit, uh, cryptos that have stood the test of time for the last 10 years, 15 years, et cetera. And then from there, you can learn how to invest in moonshots like through decentralized applications such as Uniswap. And you can start to branch out, but starting with a very simple foundation of asset allocation is how to really get the ball rolling. And then from there, you can add AI, you could add moonshots, yield farming, staking, all that kind of comes later, but it's just creating that consistency. Because if you do that week after week, month after month, year after year, nobody could convince me in 10 years that you wouldn't have a significant amount of wealth built. Yeah, brilliant. And like with the, if it is a pivotal point capital, that's basically mm -hmm. ye then kind of doing that for people rather than, because obviously you're teaching people how to do it, but not everybody would be comfortable doing that. Is that what, am I correct? And that's like, you're, that's exactly correct. Yeah. That, that my, my hedge fund, it gives people an opportunity that don't want to learn it to invest and we handle everything. And then the coaching company is for people, maybe, you know, cause there's minimum investments amount in my hedge fund. So maybe somebody doesn't have the funds to invest large amounts of capital, but they do want to get started and they want to learn it on their own. That's the alternative is teaching them through the Mamba approach, you know, how to build that foundation, how to start to build your own crypto portfolio. In my Instagram, it says, you know, I teach people how to build seven figure crypto, crypto portfolios, but then it, underneath it says mind and body first. Cause I do think that's very important because I've taught people and then they quit. And I'm like, why do they quit? Oh, it's because they were, they didn't have the traits needed to, to stick through it because they didn't see the long-term vision. So you have to also be able to visualize where your portfolio is going to be in five years and 10 years and 15 years too. And being able to go through visualization techniques to be able to know what you're saving for, what you're investing for is extremely important. You know, because you, if you're just doing it to do it, it's like going into the gym to go to the gym. You know, anybody that goes to the gym that has a goal and a plan, you're 99% more likely to hit it than somebody that's going in there and winging it. Brilliant. And like when when you do this, because I know that some kind of industries in America are based on the city that you're in. Is the hedge fund, is that kind of all of America or is it international or is it just based on L.A.? It's uh, all 50 states. It's a nationwide hedge fund. Um, what we do is when somebody invests in the fund from a new state, uh, we have to file with that state. You know, there's blue sky laws that you have to abide by. And I think after this year, because we just started working with institutions and family offices. So big, big institutions are starting to invest with us now. We have broker dealers and interbroker dealers and in, uh, agreements that are working with us. And our next step after that is to go international is to be able to work with people in Europe, Switzerland, Cayman, et cetera. And I think that's going to be a 2024 goal. Um, we're, we're looking to do that before the next halving 
which is scheduled to be in April of 2024. That's when the Bitcoin rewards that miners receive gets cut in half. So usually after that event happens, about a year after that is when we experience that bull run. So we're looking to get international capabilities through our, you know, our lawyers handle all of that. So once we get that, then if we can time that before the bull run, you know, it could be a great opportunity, not just for people in the States, for anybody listening worldwide. And I know we we talked about uh, pensions earlier. Are pensions allowed to be put into the hedge fund? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's part yeah, that's part of the institutions that we're working with. So, you know, when you're working with institutional investors, that could be pensions, nonprofit organizations, family offices, multifamily offices. Okay. And just for kind of traceability then, because at the start we were talking about all the fraud. How how mm-hmm. does the person know that when they're investing in your hedge fund that, you know, like that if it's gone up X amount? Like, because I know you, you with your fee structure, you're actually showing it, and I, I believe, is it a a twenty percent then on a profit or something like that? That you yeah, like a two percent operation, it's a two and twenty with a with a hurdle rate. So that means before any performance fees are taken by Pivotal Point Capital, our investment has to perform. So it's a two percent quarterly hurdle rate, which equates to roughly eight percent per year. So that means if we don't perform at eight percent or higher, then there's no performance fees that are taken out. So we have to beat the annual rate of inflation roughly, the S&P 500, before we even make any money. So what we do, though, is we work with a fund administrator, an international fund administrator called NAV Consulting. They're headquarters in Chicago. So, you know, we, what NAV does is they have the private keys, they have the keys to our wallets, they have the uh, API integration and keys to our exchanges. So they track every penny of movement within the entire fund. So we actually we can't even initiate a wire transfer into any of the exchanges or wallets without their permission. So it's like a multi-sig wallet in the sense that you need three authorizations just to move money around. So that means, you know, that you've heard of the terrible hedge fund stories where people just take off with billions of dollars. So what NAV does is it prevents that from happening because we can't move any money without them authorizing it. And they have destination locations of where the money goes, where they can see everything. And that requires my authorization, my partner's authorization, as well as their authorization. So that's one thing. And then also we get reports that are sent monthly. monthly. And these reports show the performance of the fund. You know, we're up over 20% this year, which for an investment fund is ex- extraordinary. Um, we're up, we're up over 20%. We do monthly reports and we have breakdowns of the assets and what each asset is doing and performing as well. And all these reports are generated by NAV, uh, sent to each investor investor as the uh, numbers are finalized. Brilliant. So I know you're an author. Is it because I found one, one of the books was uh, investing in the insurance industry. Is it two books that you've written? I've, I've written a second book. I haven't published it yet. Okay. So it's, I'm working on editing it right now, but actually the investing in insurance made easy. Um, I'm doing a 2023 edition as we speak, which is going to be released by the end of July. So it's going to be updated with how, you know, my career has progressed over the last few years when I wrote it, as well as, you know, the market conditions that have changed. And we're going to institute a lot more of the digital assets in there, uh, but it's a great way. A lot of the stuff that I explained with life insurance 
is in the book as well. Not only that, the history of life insurance, how it works, examples of policies, and then we get into equity investing, how to calculate intrinsic value. Uh, but we're going to you know, modify a few things in there, make sure that we focus a little more on digital assets, especially since that's taken such a front seat in my business recently, and really uh, just expand on the base information that we had. So Anybody can look towards the end of July, beginning of August. And, you know, my goal is to have it out on my birthday, which is August 2nd and, uh, you know, have it all edited and done. So it's just a few tweaks we're going to make and, but, you know, just want to make sure it provides as much value as possible to everybody. Brilliant. Brilliant. And to be honest with you, just based on our conversation, I think you have a fantastic way of explaining and simplifying things because like I read a load of books at the start and it was so complex. I was, I, didn't invest because of that and i just know by the way that you've explained a few things that that is critical to people actually embracing this technology yeah i i agree i uh, you know I, I attended a seminar when i was 20 years old and you know by all means this has nothing to do with all teachers but this gentleman told me that teachers many teachers not all but many teachers will take a very simple topic and they'll complicate it and it's difficult to understand but a communicator takes a complex topic and they simplify it making it easy to understand so i've always strived to take a complex topic and then be able to break it down in analogies where it's easier for people to understand you know take ethereum as an example and i'm sure you're familiar with the ethereum blockchain in a sense you know ethereum second generation blockchain and the analogy that i always give everybody to have it be easily understood is you know there's a huge mall in the united states it's called westfield mall it's actually a worldwide mall but it's very popular here so what westfield does is they go buy a humongous property and they build a building and then within that building are stores that businesses can come rent out so the westfield mall is basically the ethereum blockchain in a sense that it's general purpose so if, if ethereum builds their blockchain other decentralized applications, which are the same thing as any business that wants to open a store in a mall, a decentralized application, such as that logistics example that I gave you earlier, can build on top of Ethereum. And they have to abide by certain rules. There's what's called gas fees that they have to use, uh, which is similar to a business paying rent on the Westfield Mall. But that's essentially what it is. The only difference is when a crypto project builds on Ethereum, they can create their own currency within that ecosystem. So I used to work at Gold's Gym, which was actually on a Westfield Mall property. So that would be the equivalent of, yes, Gold's Gym has built on Westfield. And in order to transact and do business within Gold's Gym, you have to use Gold's Gym currency. Let's call it Gold's Gym bucks. And that's what ERC-20 tokens are or crypto projects that are built on Ethereum. So those are their own crypto that's built on top of another crypto. And that's essentially what the Ethereum is, is they just built a general purpose blockchain and through the utilization of a smart contract, other projects can build on top of it and create their own ecosystem that's built on top of that foundation, similar to a store that opens up within a mall. I love it. That's, that is fantastic. Yeah. If you understood I that, I mean, yeah, and no, that, 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 that reduces brilliant. the complication. Absolutely. Absolutely. And ju just finally, because I love kind of, kind of touching on social media for different people. I mean, obviously building, you know, your platform and just everything, you know, well, in the crypto world, people are using Twitter and discord and everything, just kind of what you find is, uh, 
excites you and serves you best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I fell in the Discord, Twitter, and Telegram rabbit hole, and I actually don't do that anymore. So I I, I upset a lot of people because they'll communicate with me through those channels, and I think it's just a lot of noise. So if you if you just if you're in Telegram day in day out, to me it's about action, not about typing. It's about action. So I would much rather watch a YouTube video, read a book on the foundations of crypto or maybe some of the latest news than hear 10,000 opinions on Twitter, Discord, or Telegram of people that don't know what they're talking about. So what I, 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 I have those channels, you know, you know, we have capital pivotal for Twitter, you know, but we, you know, we, we do some updates on there for our hedge fund. But for me personally, Instagram. Um, my Instagram channel is at cm.carbone uh, with an E at the end of carbone. And I, you know, I, I, I focus on crypto, but fitness mindset, the, the whole thing is the, the whole spectrum is important. And I think the more you get into Twitter, the more you get, I love Twitter. I love Elon Musk, but the more you get into Telegram and Discord, you can just find yourself six hours later arguing with somebody or celebrating the potential of a project that hasn't even hit its potential yet. And then it's like, okay, during that six hours, I could have done 10 other things that it could have moved my life forward much faster. So it's, I, I, I you know, I, I love the community that it builds sometimes, but I think that most of the time it hinders somebody's success to move forward. I would much rather talk in a form like this and have our message be conveyed to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people rather than post my opinion because the tonality of your post on tel- Discord or Telegram is not going, it's, it can be misconstrued, you know, and then all of a sudden you're in a Twitter or Telegram war with somebody and you're like, no, that's not what I meant. And you know, it's just, it's a, it's a weird situation. Plus like, you know, a lot of social media has gotten people too comfortable for saying things without the consequence of getting punched in the mouth. So I I'd rather just, you know, face to face it. I'd rather put out my own videos. I'd rather follow people that I admire take the information and then run with it. I'm an action guy. And I think people that are in crypto are so like this and they're not enough action. Absolutely. hundred percent agree with you. And I love what you've just mm-hmm. said. So listen, Corey, totally enjoyed our conversation. You might let people know how they can find you. So uh, I appreciate it too, Roy. You're an awesome guy. Thank you so much. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. My uh, handle is at cm.carbone. So C-M dot and then Carbone is C-A-R-B-O-N-E. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can just search my name, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, and then Carbone, C-A-R-B-O-N. Or you can find me on YouTube. Uh, we just launched the YouTube channel and it's youtube.com slash at the Mamba approach. Very simple. Oh, brilliant. So I'll make sure I'll put the links both on the audio and the video. And just Perfect. for those, just for those listening as well, this is going to go. Out, obviously, this is the crypto podcast, but I'm going to put it out on the awakening as well because I think what we've touched on from the start all the way through because it's so critical. It 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 affects everybody, so I'll make sure that it goes on that. So you'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Shut because it thumbs up, five star rating, share with your friends, and when you get Corey's book, you know it's going to be his birthday. Do him a favor, give him a five star rating, and share with your friends. I would love it. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Roy. Yeah, no problem. Until next week, take care.